use the false hope. Live long and prosper. I'm going to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Lilu Dallas Multipass. Shut up and take my money. Buy Grabthar's hammer. What a saving. One does not simply walk into Mordor. X never, ever marks the spot. Winter is coming. You're a wizard, Harry. Stay a while and listen. Hey, old Grimmie. Frog here. ties are cool. So say we all. This is a play on nerds. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 119 of A Play on Nerds. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman. And here we're here to co-host the living hell out of this show. Heck and you're yes. here because you accidentally stumbled upon us. <laughs> and for some reason have been pinned by a bookcase of some sort and can't reach the stop button. <laughs> Is that right? I mean, that's I presume that's at least some of our listeners, <laughs> some percent, one or two, or it's like someone in the apocalypse and they found like an old iPod and it's the only thing playing that they can they can actually listen to for the rest of time. Oh, man, that'd be terrible. <laughs> so post-apocalypse, someone's finds uh, quirky neurons iPod <laughs> with every one of our episodes on it. And then that's it. That's what they have for eternity. It's like that Twilight Zone episode. All the time I need and all the time I want. Instead of breaking their glasses, they just find us for all eternity. <laughs> the screen on it is broken, so they can never change it. It just plays in a loop. <laughs> <laughs> just this episode, too. Oh, that's even worse, because we don't know how this one's going to be yet. That's like a Black Mirror episode right there. Technology Bam. killing you. Write it up, Netflix. <laughs> So what are we just doing this week? <laughs> so this week uh, we are going to return uh, a bit that we've did the first time we ever did it. Jarman was going to do it first with the postman and uh, we had some major technical issues, right? And it got lost. We even had a postman, Sean Vanderloo, one of our listeners. Thank you again, Sean, for come on and talk about being a post person. Mm hmm. And and we lost it. it so was, it was a, that it was episode, a all that they, people heard was just his half of the interview of him talking about being a postman. But we actually reviewed the whole postman. It was called To the Death, where I defend a movie I think is great and everyone else thinks is terrible. <laughs> That's right. And, and I this, passionately just defended that movie. I loved it. So we're doing a special edition of this this week due to something that came out, it came up in the news. Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Uh, the first trailer came out and audiences were so mad about how he looked. If right. the director has said they're going to undo it. I don't they're know how gonna, they're going to have time to do that. I don't know either, but he made a promise. So now it's got to happen. Um, and <laughs> my kid is calling. That's really good. Uh, so we're going to talk about some video game hate this week. Yeah. Well, video game movies and just how bad they've been. And, and, and not any video game movie. The first video game movie, 1993, Super Mario Brothers. I am going to be defending because I saw this movie as a kid. I loved it then. I just watched it again like two or three times. I love it now. <laughs> two or three times. In little bits and pieces. <laughs> oh, when you're God. a parent, you got to take what you can get. And I always knew it was probably among the first, but I didn't realize it was the first major it was like motion the picture. First. I think there's an animated film that only showed in Japan that is technically the first. That doesn't count. But this is like the first big blockbuster. Major motion picture. Right. Um, but before we get to that... Drama, what have you been up to? Well, first, I think your child wants to tell us what she's up to. <laughs> she, she just she wants whoever's not in there. <laughs> well, uh, I actually uh, went to Atlanta this past weekend. 
Uh, I went to see my old roommate and his wife and with her, the girlfriend, and it was a good time. I'm back. I used to live in Atlanta for five years, so it was good to see the city again. Yeah, we came and visited you once. Yeah, that's right. It was a good time. So just for our listeners, I know it sounds terrible that my daughter is screaming for me in the background. Know that my wife is currently getting her milk. (laughs) She's not just being a neglected child. Yeah, you're not like a single dad who's just sitting here podcasting while your child screams. Yeah, yeah, I don't want people to get the wrong impression here. My wife is right here. And say hi. She exists <laughs> and she is taking care of our child right now. That could be Thank the you. first time your wife has spoken on the podcast. We asked her to talk about something once. That's true. She did one time. I think. We gave, we asked for her opinion on whether aliens were real or not. Now that oh. I'm thinking about it long time ago. Well, there's we were, a chance audience that I'm going to be visiting uh, Steve where he lives over in California and we'll have an in-person episode with my girlfriend and your wife. We might get, them to, right. we might get them to talk. Man, maybe maybe even look at each other for just a half second. <laughs> and look at us. That's what's That's important. right. That's all I want. So my other update for the week is that uh, I'm doing a whole revamp of my voiceover business. So I'm doing coaching with a professional coach and getting uh, a voiceover demo professionally done for commercial voice acting. And uh, I also redid my website. So you can now find me at JarmanVoices.com. I saw that you rebranded on your Facebook. Yeah, so my logo is still a work in progress. Uh, it's just kind of something I've been futzing around with, something simple. Uh, but the website's been completely revamped. And I'm just kind of be redoubling my efforts to get uh, all sorts of voiceover work. So that's in the works. And I find, just... What? I said, find some new avenues. I believe in you. Yeah. And I can finally announce publicly what i've been working on for the past three months oh and, yeah uh, it's only going to be released as of right now in china but what it is is i am the new voice of diary of a wimpy kid the entire book series uh 12 books that i was working on for the past three months and it's basically they already have an american narrator who's done all those books um someone named roman de Acampo. And he has a very nice kind of youthful, um, silly voice. Um, he's actually an act TV and film actor. He does like small roles and a lot of SVUs and that kind of thing as well. Um, but then they wanted a new voice because they had new licensing for uh, non-English speaking countries. So starting off in Asia and they'll move to some places in Europe eventually. Um, but the first rollout is in China, which is, has a booming audiobook market starting off very soon. Um, so I've already done the intros to all the Tom Clancy series, the uh, Game of Thrones. Um, so when when they in China, if you listen to the audiobook of Game of Thrones in Chinese, you'll first hear my voice saying, this is Game of Thrones brought to you by True Lake Audio. And then it goes into the book. So it's like <laughs> for some reason, I'm in English in the beginning. <laughs> wow. Very nice. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. So I think over a million, if not, you know, almost a billion people that live in China can possibly hear that. Um, but yeah, so Diary Wimpy Kid, I'm the new voice of that in asia at the moment in english wow not chinese by the way people i don't speak chinese <laughs> that's right german's huge in china yeah it's like david hasselhoff but with china <laughs> that's right german love david, david hasselhoff, hasselhoff. <laughs> so it's been an eventful week it's been fun well, good what about you sir uh well we we've been trying to up our walking on weekends and do like more outing kind of stuff and i'm happy to say this past weekend between saturday and sunday we walked 10 miles 10 miles man 10 miles that's right does that keep track with your apple watches i'm guessing uh yeah and other devices nice uh we went to then on may the 4th happened this past weekend may the 4th be with you and also with and you. <laughs> we went to san jose quilt and textile museum which who knew that existed because they put up an ad saying star wars arts and crafts nice and dress up as your favorite character 
Star Wars Day at the Quilt and Textile Museum. That's one way to get people to come. That sounds great. So we get there about a half hour after they open, assuming there will be people. There are not people. Oh, no. So now we are a family of three dressed up as Star Wars characters in downtown San Jose (laughs) going to a place where there are no, there's no one else is there. So we go in and we look the staff. Nah, no one wore any Star Wars shirts or no one was dressed up. So they advertised for people to dress up and weren't willing to do anything. Were they advertised that that you saw it? Uh, community websites and stuff and okay. event tracker stuff that we that we subscribe to right so we went to the textile museum and it's still a very cool museum it's quilting and really incredible thread work and stuff so great stuff but what's what does my two-year want to do touch everything you know what you can't do touch anything <laughs> so so the whole time was just a nightmare of like no stop you can't go there no so the crafts they had were a 2000 piece star Wars puzzle. Oh my goodness. That they just put out on a table. I think assuming that people would put it together through the day. <laughs> um, this so a but it was on a plan. table that in no way was going to fit it. So that was exciting. <laughs> uh, they were making Yoda doll pom pom things, which I'm not describing well, but they were cute, but Joyce wouldn't sit still. So we stayed for about a half hour and then left. It took off our Star Wars costumes. Now, was uh, Joyce in her Ewok costume? She was in a lowered version of her Ewok costume. And what about you guys? The Ewok costume is too warm. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I, re- I Same thing with mine. Mine is just, if I want, I can just wear the hood. I have a pair of ears that slip over the top, like a headband. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's just, a you know, I'm just in whatever I'm in. And I have the Ewok <laughs> kit. Gotcha. Same thing with the kit. This is like the pared down version and Anna has her Leia costume. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, so that was lame. Well, you guys tried. I mean, we really did. We tried to get into community stuff and support local art and man, <laughs> not great. Not well, great. I should also say that um, a friend of the podcast and old, uh, you know, person to coordinate with the podcast, Patrick, our old friend from high school, he has a baby. It's about five months younger than your baby. And she was mm-hmm. staying with me this past weekend. And it's the same thing. She wants to touch everything. <laughs> she has to. It's a touching machine. And they're like, they go around like, what's this? What's this? What's this? And just grab it. They put it in their mouth, like throw it in the ground, whatever they want to just like tactilely touch everything. <laughs> it's how they learn, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's all they have. It's really cute. <laughs> just hands and punches. <laughs> And kicks. Uh, Every time I pick that kid up, it was just like right to the balls. Just kick right in the balls. <laughs> oh, and then I'm happy to say that tonight, literally right before this, Anna logged onto her computer and we paid off her last student loan. Woo! That's awesome. So now between the two of us, we are student loan free. Mine was just this past December. Congratulations. It's ridiculous. We all made it. Finally. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and now right in time for Elizabeth Warren to uh, forgive all student loan debt. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Just in time. Damn it. <laughs> Oh, well, we'll see how that goes. That's right. So I think that takes us into some nerdy news. I think it does. It's time for nerdy news. Just every time that music just gets me going. Every time. Gets me jazzed up for some nerd news. I'll go first. I feel like I'm just like a chauvinistic 80s newscaster. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we both have the facial hair right now. Uh, I got rid of mine. Oh, mine is still very much alive. Oh, yeah. Listeners, we both at the same time by chance had a mustache and soul patch thing going. We didn't, we didn't plan it. We did not plan it. 
we hopped on to play Dungeon World and our cameras turned on and we both lost our shit laughing about it. <laughs> we had these terrible hair, facial hair we both decided was a great idea. <laughs> I loved it, though. It was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It's great feeling like a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the cheeky title for my nerd news story this week is The Good Stuff. Mm. So here's something I didn't realize. All marijuana in the United States that is used for scientific studies comes from only one place. Hmm. The National Center for Natural Products Research at the University of Mississippi uh, f- is the only facility that the DEA has given a license to grow and distribute cannabis for scientific purposes. Wow. Just one place. One place. The only... Uh, 10 or 11 other places have applied, but the DEA has approved no other permits. Hmm. So researchers that are in marijuana research have to get their stuff from this. And they started comparing it to what patients and people on medical are able to get in dispensaries in states where it's legal, Colorado, California, Washington. Like they started scientifically comparing it. Yeah. So they went and got samples of over the counter stuff and found that the over the counter stuff is between 10 and 15% stronger than you know, the stuff that this, this lab grows for all their studies. So they are basically complaining that now that throws their studies into doubt because they did not test what is indicative of what the public is getting. That makes sense. And so the, the, the lab has basically pushed back and said, look, we're not here to help you chase some high. We are here, here <laughs> to provide you with a standard measurable scientific material. But if it doesn't represent the standard of what everyone is using, then what is those results worth? Yeah, that's that's the point they're they're worried about. Yeah, so that's the good stuff. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I mean, I can't partake myself, but you know, it's still interesting thought. Uh, so my news is something I think Steve will appreciate. Don't worry, it's not Ooh. ghosts. <laughs> but uh, so if you go if you go to the military of any kind with a report of a UFO. Especially, say, if you're a um, if you're a regular Joe, they probably just will ignore you and not say anything in return. But if you submit a report and you're a pilot or you're a air traffic controller, police officer, someone of com- some kind of esteem or good reporting standards, uh, their standard report to you back was uh, maybe report this to a local UFO organization or something else because we haven't looked into UFOs since 1960 something. When we stopped Project Blue Book and released the Condon report, which said that concluded that UFOs are not a threat and we're no no longer going to look into them. That's what their standard reply has been for years. Um, A few years ago, or it was like two years ago, I talked about in the podcast how they had a a big um, discovery that uh, Harry Reid had started up a new UFO program maybe about 10 years ago called ATIP and had put. $33 $33 million into this program into researching UFO cases. Um, so it was already a lie at that point that they were not researching UFOs. They were and spending a lot of money on it. Um, and now, as of last week, the Navy, U.S. Navy, released a report with new UFO reporting procedures. And in that report, they even said that we take all these reports very serious, seriously, especially ones that are, you know, reporting these objects flying near and around air bases and uh, nuclear sites. And we take them very seriously. So um, they give out full procedures of what to do to report a UFO sighting. Um, so 
just with the the a tip thing with harry reed and actual the you know the speaker and then this happening it's like the the government's taking these things more and more seriously which i think is pretty cool it's kind of going the right hmm. direction towards not necessarily disclosure or something but um the idea that you know it's a real phenomenon of some sort and they're recognizing that that's right so well, that's i guess cool somebody in pr was like ah crap we gotta update these things <laughs> I try to like only bring news on here if it's going to be something that Steve will think is interesting and from a legitimate source and not something. Yeah, that's unless just- we're doing some joke bit where I where I right. like listen to you for 10 minutes and then we then we both know you're full of shit. That's preternatural penetration. <laughs> that's right. We have a name for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love those segments. I, do no, I love one. those. We haven't done those. We haven't done one of those in 50 episodes or something. Like that's that. on me. I got to bring that back again. Jarvis, do it. I will Let's do it. So that's yeah, my news. Um, OK, very cool. Uh, so before we get to talk about Super Mario Brothers, the first, there have been many super uh, video game movies made since. And uh, I've got a list of them. We're going to talk about some of them because most of them came from our generation. Hell yeah. I mean, we lived through all this. That's right. Uh, a callback to one of our early copycat cinemas where we compared Double Dragon and Street Fighter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Both great video game movies. Uh, one of my favorites growing up, and I think you and I saw one and maybe two of these movies together, were Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I mean, I had both VHS cassettes of Mortal Kombat, and I loved them. First one, definitely a lot better than the second movie. Oh my gosh, yes. Second movie actually had a similar budget, but just tried to do way too much. And um, uh, I like, <laughs> and actually, they have this giant apocalyptic scene that they built out in some desert somewhere. And mm-hmm. several planes would fly over that area and they reported things back to air traffic control because it looked so desolate and freaky looking that they were like, we don't know what's going on. Was there a bomb <laughs> that went off or something? So it was interesting that that's the only interesting thing about Mortal Kombat 2, the movie. though. <laughs> oh, they were both so bad. I, no, I thought the first uh, one was the, actually pretty solid. I don't the think the first one was OK. The second one was really bad because the like, good thing is and the bad thing. The first movie is they hired a lot of real fighters, people who are really good at stunt work as the actors um and so they weren't very good actors <laughs> that's true but they were really good stunt fighters because they actually had ex- like martial arts experience but that just did not work for acting <laughs> so and the first one the goro puppet i remember was so freaky it was really terrible. stop motiony kind of weird but here's a fun fact about the second one uh the second one featured his wife Sheba. yeah i think I Sheba. her name uh, who also had four arms. And at one point she is just randomly crushed and killed by something. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that they ran out of money <laughs> to do effects. They had to cut her. <laughs> I am not surprised. <laughs> Fun fact. Choose, Mortal Kombat choose Annihilation. Hot. Choose hot. Uh, a couple incarnations, Laura Croft and the Tomb Raider. Right. Those uh, two movies with the, uh, what's her face? Angelina Jolie, Skeletor. And they kind of bl- bombed. Uh, they yeah. were not very good. And this most recent one I didn't see. So I don't, I don't know. I saw it. And the problem was it it's mounds better than the old Laura Croft movies. It's it's a really solid film, but it's on standard of films in general. It's very mediocre. So, yeah, OK, Fair. but but it's it's just really not a bad film at all. It's fun to watch entertaining. She's a fantastic actor. She's Oscar nominated like she's a really good actress. Um and they didn't over sexualize her like they, they they're going off the of new video games that have come out where she's got, you know, regular size human boobs and like, yeah, like a normal person. Yeah, she's not skimpy outfits. She's not like sexualized the whole time. So it was really good. Good progress. But just it's I think they're 
they're on higher standards now of video game films in general because they've all been so bad. <laughs> That's right. We're getting sick of it. Yeah. Speaking of ones that just got worse and worse, uh, Resident Evil. These uh, have a big cult following. I mean, these films. That's why they keep yeah, made. that's because other people like you love Mila Jovovich. I I do. I just I know, and that's why. And that's okay. <laughs> but they are pretty cruddy. <laughs> uh, a dark a dark one I liked that wasn't great, but at least they tried. A uh, Silent Hill. I don't think I ever saw the film version of that. It's very dark and not video gamey, which is probably what was the best part about it. That's what they need to do. Um, but who was in it? Anybody famous? Um, the lady. Oh, that lady. And the other lady from The Walking Dead. Lauren Cohan? No. She would have been way too young. Uh, Rada Mitchell. Oh, Rada Mitchell wasn't in The Walking Dead, was she? No, not her. Oh. Lori Holden also is in it. She's the one. Oh, okay. Sean Bean. <laughs> well, did he die in the movie? <laughs> Maybe. I can't remember. Because <laughs> he dies in every movie. Um, so yeah, there's some people in it. It's dark and at least has a point of view. Gotcha. Uh, let's see doom with the rock and they forget forgettable. They try. That's the thing is these movies, they try to make it too much like each of the video games. So we had a lot of the, the first person view in that film, which was kind of like the first movie to do that. Like as if you're looking through the game, playing it. So you'd see through his eyes with the gun moving around and like True. Him, him reloading and stuff. So it was, it was kind of neat. They tried that, but it was just a terrible movie. Too little, too late as well. Yeah. Uh, and then we've had some the movies have had some recent relative success and the three biggest, highest grossing have come out relatively recently. Warcraft assassins, Creed and rampage. Now I saw rampage. That was, I think perfect for what that video game was. There's barely yep, any plot. To that, that was game. fine. It was fine. Warcraft was the, I don't know, they made a lot of bad choices. Uh, and same thing with Assassin's Creed, but at least there was really cool action. I never saw Assassin's Creed, the movie, um, but I'm it, was, it was okay. Yeah, and Warcraft was very ambitious. It just didn't, <laughs> it wasn't good. didn't capture the magic of the game. No, that's right. Uh, so, as I said, Super Mario Bros. is at the head of this class. But you did um, not want, mention uh, Street Fighter. Yeah, I did. Well, Street you said that we covered Dragon. it before, but yeah, oh, Street Fighter is awesome, and Double Dragon is terrible. <laughs> yes, but Street Fighter is awesome. <laughs> sure, awesome. That's why we can talk about it some other time. Well, we already did, but it does not the point. Uh, so, Super Mario Brothers. I we have this lovely theme here. Wait, this is not how it's. So it started out actually with this theme, and I was like, that's really cool. But it's Alan Silvestri did the music to this film, which is hmm. incredible. And see, it slowly uh, moves into this. I'm going to skip ahead. Hold on. Because it has a good theme throughout. You know the theme I'm talking about? Yeah. And now I can't find it. Ah, well, it's like in the action sequences and stuff, they have this weird, like, cool, like, uh, New York-y, Italian, you know, theme going yeah, on. Yeah, but it's like kind of in a minor key. I know exactly what you're talking about. Very jaunty. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways. Um, so this is our To the Death, because I really like this movie. And I remember seeing it in theaters and liking it then. And I like it now. Uh, how bad was this movie panned? Well, let's talk about it. <laughs> Siskel and Ebert declared this movie the worst movie of the 1993. Hmm, fair. Uh, it had a budget of $48 million and only grossed $21 million. That's actually better than I expected. <laughs> uh, Jane, uh, uh, Hopper, James Hopper, uh, originally scheduled for five weeks of filming was kept for 17 
Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Dennis Hopper. I knew I had the front first name wrong. Dennis Hopper. Uh, five weeks filling kept for 17 him and Bob Hoskins uh, have later said that this is the, this movie was the worst choice of their careers. Both of them. Well, Dennis Hopper, not as much, I think, because I love his quote to his kid. His kid said, why'd you play King Koopa in that terrible movie? And he's like, because I wanted to buy you a new pair of shoes. <laughs> and his son said, I never needed shoes that badly. Dad. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they both came out with a, with a disaster and it was the one movie they both regretted to the grave. <laughs> That's true. They're both dead now. That's right. Uh, they tried though. They had some really good talent behind this movie. Uh, producers of the Oscar winning movie, the killing fields hmm. produced it. Alan Silvestri uh, doing the music. That's right. Great music. Uh, the visual design, um, was done by a guy from blade runner, and production design from Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, some like very visually well put together films. Yeah, I mean, it even got nominated for some visual effects awards and stuff. So yeah, that was cool. uh, so they had some some good talent behind this movie. That's uh, funny. And I think this movie has a lot. Whether you like the taste or not, whatever we get into, I think there's a lot of quality put into this film. And you mentioned the talent that um, it's just funny they considered Tom Hanks for the role, role of Luigi. But then That's right. Turner and Hooch and Joe versus the volcano did so poorly in 89 and 90 that they said, oh, he's not a box office draw anymore. <laughs> um, uh, DeVito was interested in starring and directing, mm, directing, but he wouldn't sign on unless they had a final script. And this movie had something like a total of nine writers work on it. It was so bad. The, Two people yeah. originally. And then the guy from Rain Man got his hands on it. And then two other writers came in and rewrote it another time and got it to a place where the, the studio signed on and they got stars and directors signed on and the directors saw it and were like, we're going to make this more sci-fi. And so they brought in their own writers, to like punch up the sci-fi and make it more blade runner. Oh man. And then two more writers were brought in later to try to save it. It was real bad. According to an article in spy magazine, uh, the script was being writ- rewritten so many times during production that the actors stopped paying attention to these daily rewrites. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just stopped caring and got that, drunk. <laughs> that is exactly the reports. Uh, <laughs> and the first person interested in the role was Dustin Hoffman, Oscar winner, Dustin Hoffman to be Mario. <laughs> yeah. Cause his kids love Nintendo and love <laughs> Mario and Arnold Schwarzenegger turned down the role of King Koopa. Probably a Good smart for move him. on his Good part. Good for him, man. Walk away. Just walk he couldn't have away. saved it. <laughs> oh, and also, I, I, I'll, we can get to it later, but uh, I did think Toad was uh, like familiar-ish. And the reason why is because they wanted to cast Tom Waits as Toad. And I was like, that's what that guy sounds kind of sounds like Tom Waits. And they so they hired a, a next best thing and some random guy who was a third rate Tom Waits for half price. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he did remind me of Tom Waits. So. Yeah, they didn't get Tom Waits as Toad, which is already a weird choice. Why the frick are you going with Tom Waits for Toad? Oh, God. Oh, man. Someone had a vision. Not a good vision. They had a vision vision with ayahuasca or something to make this movie. Um, (laughs) So here's something I've been been looking at. And Dan Harmon, maker of uh, Harmon Quest and Rick and Morty. Sure. So you think I'm in for. uh, Has this thing he said multiple places that he has a certain way that he builds all his plots. And he, he calls them the eight steps of a good plot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I kind of looked at this movie through that lens. And this movie hits a lot of those points. 
Not all of them good though. All right. Uh, so a character starts out in a zone of comfort. Besides the interesting, mysterious intro with the baby left, you got the two mild mannered plumbers at home getting called out to a job. Right. But they want something. That's the next step. Luigi wants Daisy. The romance drives the plot. They enter an unfamiliar situation. They go to the mushroom kingdom for some terrible reason. And it's like Alcatraz and Blade Runner. It's like Dinah Hatton, I think it was called. Dino Hatton, <laughs> um, which was apparently explained a lot better in a scene they cut where a Dennis Hopper's uh, King Koopa in the beginning got more time to walk around New York and saw what it was and went back and tried to replicate it. Right. But that got cut, so it didn't matter. <laughs> um, so they enter an unfamiliar situation, Mushroom Kingdom. They adapt to it. Adapt to it's the next part. Uh, you got the jail escape and the dance club and them getting mugged by an old lady. Uh, they get what they wanted. They rescue Daisy and the other girls. They pay a heavy price for it. And this is where things kind of fall apart because <laughs> they don't really pay a price for it. Some random second string villain uh, pushes the plot because King Koopa can't. Wait, which second uh, string villain? Uh, the, the female, the woman, I can't remember her name, the redhead. Oh, like his like kind of concubine wife ish, whatever she yeah, was. Yeah, she was like vying for the throne. Right. Uh, her, she had to go and like drive the plot and make things happen. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's kind of where it falls apart, and they return to their familiar circumstances. They go back to the real world. Mm-hmm. So there that's, that's the Harmon method. It's a complete. It's a complete story. I don't see how anyone could hate it. <laughs> A story happens. <laughs> a story does happen. Yeah, I'll give you that. People talk and the camera recorded it. <laughs> Events occur in an order. <laughs> That's right. Um, all right. So now I got some points as to why this is not a bad film. All right. Well, we got to hear and this. You gotta, and, and you get to counter all of them. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. This movie has some awesome practical effects and some awesome design work done. Uh, from the Goombas and the puppetry of the little tiny heads and uh, the little sounds and voices they gave them that added and were amusing, but didn't become too much. Um, the Yoshi puppet was really cool. Um, all the design and the fungus and the vision. As I said, there, there was no lack of vision in this film. The art designer from Blade Runner did it. Huge production design. Simply great. A feast for the eyes, I guess, is my first point. <laughs> Do you know what the movie The Room is? Uh, maybe. Well, it's a movie. It's like critically panned for oh, yes. being purposely bad. Or it's not, I know it. it wasn't bad on purpose, but it came out really bad. Yeah. So I know it. my counter to your point is that, sure, the effects were great. But basically, it's like take Jurassic Park because that Yoshi puppet was amazing it looks it looks fantastic it does it really does so take the movie Jurassic park and replace all the actors with tara reed and okay. give it the writers of the room and you you no longer are going to care much about how wonderful those effects are because you're like this is dismal <laughs> <laughs> they've okay, taken fair. and those poor vfx artists who worked their butts off to make these beautiful animatronic faces and bodies and the goombas and there's like crying themselves to sleep as they see their creations being thrown into a barrel fire 
And like, I took so much time to make that. Why are you burning it now? <laughs> the CGI is not strong in this film. Hey, the C- I actually remarked the CGI was good for its time and interesting. because They didn't try to make it look perfect. Like the pixelization was kind of neat going the video game route. So I'm like, I was okay with that. I didn't. True. I didn't kind of get that against you, it. You got to have the uh, Avengers Infinity War dust out at one point. Yeah. Which was fun. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So it sounds like you agree. Thank you. No, <laughs> almost. Uh, so my second point. So th- a lot of people were really sad. This like wasn't super true to the game, mm-hmm. but there are a ton of references shoved into this movie. And really what I'm talking about is that the, uh, the designer I was talking about earlier put as much into this little tiny environment as he could. And it, it really shows uh, you got easy references like the bomb and and Yoshi. Um, but then you get more obscure kind of stuff like Spike and Iggy, the two idiot cousins. Uh, they're named after one of the Koopa kids and one of the spike throwers. Mm-hmm. Uh, big Bertha, the big voluptuous red lady with the spikes. That's the name of one of the big spiky underwater fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, businesses. So there are tons of signs and it's insane. There are so many posters and for very specific references, including, uh, the boom, boom bar where they go. Boom, boom is one of the villains from, I believe the third one and, uh, bullet bills is advertised. Um, and then you get even more subtle references like the costumes of the, the two guys doing the de-lousing or the defungusing, uh, are shy guys Mm. very clearly. So I know a lot of people said this didn't stay close, but they packed as much reference. And there's so much I didn't mention. There are a ton into this film as they possibly could. The designers. And my counter to that point is that it's real fun to watch the very, very, very first script of this film, according to IMDb trivia page, uh, was a completely different storyline, but also completely different ways of portraying. They called him Bowser. Um, they had all different characters that you would know more in their real form from the game. There was less attachment to the real world aspect and more of just like, this is an adventure of Mario brothers going on and you just kind of accept it. Um, And so instead of trying to have the conceit of them being real people and stuff, it just kind of puts you in the middle of the adventure. And there was so much from the original game. Um, They kill Bowser by knocking him into lava by knocking down a bridge like and his name is Bowser, not King Koopa. And like, there's just so much more that like went directly to the game. And then, the writer's mess occurred and this became someone trying to squeeze in references here and there, as opposed to the actual movie being like the game. Um, hence why all their arguments are correct when they say this is not like the game because <laughs> references do not make it like the game. It, ma- it makes references to the game. All right. <laughs> well, I got a last one. It's going to make you suck eggs. All right. Give me those eggs. <laughs> My third point, Bob Hoskins. Drop the mic. I already succeed the point. <laughs> uh, he, despite all the terribleness, and even at the time of this released, the reviews from a lot of people, that in this sea of terrible, him and John Leguizamo were like the o- performances were the only somewhat redeemable parts of the film. I completely agree with that. And I speak, I think that speaks doubly for Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. Yeah, because like I could see them in a much better movie playing Mario and Luigi. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. This could have been a much better film with them. Like and we would I, be, we'd be talking about it fondly now. <laughs> I do wish that there was like a, somehow a like a 
a 30 year old Bob Hoskins, but I know it's not possible, but like, it's just, I think he's a little old to play Mario. Cause it's like, they're supposed to be, I feel like they should be more like the same age, but the, the characterization, I feel like even it was better that he hated the project and he was drunk most of the time he was filming because <laughs> it kind of made him feel like Mario, like a casual, but good hearted guy. He was going to stand up for people. And he's like, yeah, he, he played that perfectly. And I, I didn't know growing up that Bob Hoskins was British because I only saw this film and thought he was, a New Yorker because he sounds just like a freaking New Yorker. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, Bob Hoskins single-handedly gives this movie a few of its only redeeming points. And like those moments, those character moments of the two of them are some of the best parts of this movie. Like in the beginning where he's have, helping him talk to the girl. Right. That was like, that felt like this feels like the Mario brothers. They love each other. This is a great moment. And like, this is not manufactured. It's not trying too hard. It's just, it felt really authentic and nice and sweet. And like, then the rest of it goes off the deep end. And even the scene, uh, the one I'm thinking of is uh, when the Scapellis bust the pipes and Mario goes down and the water's gushing out of the pipes and he, he goes down and him and like when Zamo have this little like act, like this wretch got, and they, they clearly choreograph this little thing. Yeah, and he's like hand. He gives him his hand, hand. and he pulls him up. You're right, <laughs> and that was just—it was good. It was those little moments, and and I wrote this this little blurb. Uh, this movie is really great for the first half hour. <laughs> That's true. I, I, you have an intriguing everything until they get to the jail is actually really good. Uh, they they have an intriguing setup. Uh, the girl with a mysterious past, romantic interest that drives the motivation for the main characters. Uh, they get transported to this new world. Koopa has something that they want. They have something he needs. It makes for a good balance and a good trade-off situation. And then they get arrested and the entire movie derails. Yeah, like the the way they make that into the real world with the mystery of like the meteorite and the alternate dimension was all fascinating. But then, in, yeah, after that, like it just becomes too goofy to care. Yeah. It, yes, truly. Um, and then to some extent, the two idiot cousins also were very enjoyable in my book. I just think the actors are pretty poor. Well, one of them was the guy from short circuit who did, uh, who did brown face. Oh, that's right. It was him. I didn't realize <laughs> it that. was him. Uh, oh, you should oh. always know. Oh God. It's bad. What's his <laughs> name? Hold on. I gotta get this name up here. Yep, doing that accent. Dennis Hopper. No, that's not <laughs> Brad, Brad Hopper. Fisher Stevens. That's, that's right. I recognize that name again now. And also from Lost. Who was he in Lost? I don't know. He played some character late seasons. I think he was one of the like outsiders or I don't know. Dharma Initiative, maybe. Yeah, yeah. one of the Dharma Initiative people. So yeah, really great <laughs> for the first half hour. And they hit the jail. And after that, you're just looking for little glimmers of hope. But I love this film. I really do. I mean, it just set, I think, unfortunately, set the standard of what came after that, which was all video game movies become a mess and just no one can freaking figure out how to fix it. Yeah, If this had been a better film, it would have set the stage for a lot better films. But because this movie came out, everyone's like, oh, that's a low bar. And I think the, in the next like 10 years, they have an opportunity in Hollywood to make incredible narrative films off of Bioshock, Mass Effect uncharted these games that have incredible storylines and characters and they're based off story and if they fuck them up i don't know what is wrong like they're handing you a beautiful script and a beautiful story and beautiful environments and aesthetics and like if they can't figure that out they don't deserve their jobs i mean no offense but 
you know, we talked about Warcraft earlier. Warcraft falls into that. It's true. I, I think that Warcraft problem is there's too much. Like I would have loved for them to have gotten it right. And me to have had 10 to 12 years of good Warcraft movies to enjoy. That's the problem is I think they, they, they didn't know where to start or where to begin. And they had too much content. So they just kind of jumbled it up into one thing and fucked it all up. But you're right. They could have, they should have started at the beginning. They should have started at Warcraft one. Or is that what they did? Yeah. No, that's what they did. Oh, that was terrible. Jarvis, <laughs> you are helping prove Quirky Neuron's point as we speak. What, what point? That we always go back on things we said in prior episodes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think, but what they did was, I think, I don't know. They, what would you say the biggest flaw of the Warcraft movies is? This is relevant to the discussion. Um, I don't know. The CGI was very good. They got the right cast in there. Really what it suffered from was pacing and I don't know. They, they didn't pick any point of view. That's the problem is that you on both sides, you had protagonists, you had Stormwind and the King and the other side you had uh, what Ogrim and right. All those guys. So you had protagonists on both sides and that doesn't make for an interesting story. And that works for a video game where you have to play both sides but there doesn't, yeah, you're right. There's more for a movie where it didn't feel like there was any driving force of why we should care. Cause they eventually yeah. get the, the guy who gets possessed by the demon or whatever um, to be the villain. Yeah. Medivh. Um, was it? Yeah. Um, uh, yes. No, that's the guy. Maybe. I don't remember <laughs> too many names, too much lore. I just wanted to have um, an art, this movie that would have been perfect, but I would have just loved any, just any, anything beyond that, but we're not going to get anything beyond that. I don't no. think. I mean, not from their 10 years. Maybe it'll come out re- reboot or something. All right. Well, that's been our special to the death video game hate edition. <laughs> uh, and watch Super Mario Bros. If you haven't, uh, make sure you're drinking just like Bob Hoskins during the filming of this movie. Absolutely. All right. Sports. Not really. It's time for. Our Game of Thrones player draft. Who lives? Who dies? And who died? Welcome <laughs> back, sports fans. Or sports <laughs> not fans. Uh, so last, last episode, you got to hear our Game of Thrones draft where we picked each 11 total players. We start with 11 points. And as people die, 12 points, 12 points, 12 points. I'm wrong. 12 points. And as each one dies, we lose points. And whoever ends up with the most points at the end of the season, the most people and characters still alive is the winner. That's right. Uh, so it was a so we we've missed two episodes since. Oh, and before we go any episode. further, we should oh, play this. Yeah. Hit it. Oh yeah. Spoilers. Spoilers. That's right. My wife is going to look over at me in the car right now and shake her head. I tried stopping it early, but it, it just froze. So no, it just won't. You, it's not programmed that way. <laughs> just you won't let play me. the whole thing. Uh, so we've had two episodes: the Battle of Winterfell. Uh, German, you pulled ahead real early with this episode. Oh, so who died in the Battle of Winterfell? Let's see here. So German only lost one in the Battle of Winterfell. Theon Greyjoy, who was a great bet, great pickup for him. But I lost early with Jorah Mormont, Melisandre, and the Night King. <laughs> right in the third episode. It just hurt. It hurts. I was down nine to 11 after the first episode there were only five deaths in the first ep- in, the, in that episode and three of them were on my draft 
And if you don't remember, folks, we didn't pick everyone we thought was going to be live or we thought was going to be dead. We had to pick teammates and they would get a, I couldn't pick the same person he just picked. So like middle school kickball. Yeah. So we got stuck with people that we knew were probably going to die, but we had to just oh, eat it. Oh, man. But it just it hurt. It hurt me deep. So uh, then eight four, which is being kind of deemed a boring episode. I, I liked it. It was I liked it. It's a regrouping episode. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and towards the end, out of nowhere, your your pick for the dragon Rhaegal died. That's right. And so you went down. So now it's nine to 10 and I feel like I've got a much better shot. Uh, but so we didn't have Masande on the list, but she we did also not died. because, okay, I made a bad assumption because I had to whittle this list down. My assumption is that Masande's fate was tied to Daenerys, right? So Daenerys lived or died. She would live or die. And so I cut her. Oh man. What a fool. Which really, really she's more- like the driving force of both gray worm and, uh, uh, Danny, Danny, to get just mad. But a lot of people like, I'm, I'm watching the show with think that she's gonna become the Mad Queen because she's just gonna be so enraged by everything going on. She's a bit tyrannical, certainly at times. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, so real quick, what what did you think of the Battle of Winterfell? I'm gonna say this is probably the most anticipated and talked about episode of television in recent history. Yes, it's like an event television that we just don't have anymore these days because people just watch everything on streaming, but they are so afraid of being spoiled. That's what they're doing with this show that they make everyone want to watch at the exact same time. Um, Oh, yeah. But they are being lambasted for the cinematography because we think it looked beautiful, but it was just so dark that it was hard to see. There was so much going on so fast, a lot of fast cuts, especially in the beginning of the episode that. It was hard to see who was who, what was going on, and it was just a little too dark. And like, it's okay if you want the aesthetic to be like no one can see what's going on, but there was a lot of action happening where I feel like they want us to know what was going on, but it was still too dark. And late night talk show hosts are talking about it and joking about it. SNL joked about it. That one joke they made was that, um, you know, it's dark when you can't even see the white people in the show. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it was kind of a problem. Um but I watched, oh, no. I watched it a second time, turning the brightness up all the way in my television. I could see it a little better. See, I didn't have that problem, but that's because we we like blacked everything out. Oh, I was in a completely Turned dark room. Every light, but... closed our blinds, no like street light came in, and I didn't have a problem. Yeah, it just seemed like I think a lot of people were complaining about that fact. But beyond that, I think the episode was it was really breathtaking, fantastic. Oh man, uh, they played emotionally played us like a fiddle. Oh yeah. With Melisandre showing up and lighting up all the Oryx and then riding out and then sl- the slow extinguish. Oh, yeah. Like beautiful. that. Oh, just beautifully done. Give us a visual representation of the terrible thing that was happening um, and, and scare us without showing us as an audience was just brilliantly done. Uh, and my favorite moment in the entire episode came shortly after this. And I got to talk about it because it was so well done. So out of the night, after all the arcs have gone out and the, the flames have gone out, uh, a few uh, riders come back, a few escaped horses, um, a little bit of the Kalasar shows up, and then Jorah Mormont on his horse. Mm-hmm. And as he passes, him and Tormund Giantsmead make eye contact, and they, took, they, slowed, they put it into slow-mo for just that like one or two shots, and the look on Jorah's face... And the little eye contact and nod that he did to Tormund was just communicated everything. That's a great moment. And it was just maybe my favorite moment in the entire show. 
I have a favorite one for later, but for that scene though, it took me watching it twice to think what the hell were they, was the strategy there? Like I was like confused by why they sent in all the Dothraki in and then just to have them die. But I guess I figured out towards second episode, I think this is what the plan was, was to send the Dothraki on the fast horses to draw them in so that they can get them past the point where they could light the, uh, the, what do you call it? The trench or whatever. The trench. And so I was like, oh, that's what they're doing. So the point was not to go there and get slaughtered and kill all of them. It was just like to attack them, pull them back. And so they did do that. Do that. They pulled them back, but just not as many of them made it as they hoped. I think is what the idea was. Because otherwise, that plan makes no sense. Like, what were they doing? There's so I think it it does make sense for people that have never fought the dead. Yeah. And so the reason I mean that is that in the military of that time, there would be lines of men. You know, think Grey Worm in the in the Unsullied. Right. Lines of men with spears and and then behind them would be archers, you know, like medieval combat. And the idea was this cavalry was going to break those lines. So that's, I think, what they were trying to do. But I think they underestimated the size of the force, expecting the Dothraki to cut through the lines and come out on the other side. But there was no other side. And kind of like chase them back to the trench. No, I think they, they expected the, the Dothraki to pass through them. And, and just, then turn around and then and then come from the other side, because that's classically how the tactic was done. Kind of like cut through like a knife through the middle and then kind of push. Right. Like you saw the Dothraki break the Lannisters lines in the episode last season where right. they, the dragons roast them all inevitably. Like that is the idea is they ride through, they break the lines, they ride back through. Gotcha. But I just don't th- I think that there was no other side. And they I think it was just I think it was just putting way too much dependence on the Dothraki like just winning that. And it's like, I just it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It's like, they sent them in there to be slaughtered. Yeah. But so I, I don't know. I think that they, they would not have sent them to be slaughtered, which means that someone had a plan. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I wish they would have given us a couple of lines of discussion of what that plan was. Cause that would have made more sense to me and would have made that moment more impactful when we see all their lights going off and stuff. Cause at yeah. that point it's just like, okay, they sent them in to die. Is that what just happened? Cause no one explained to us what that plan was. As <laughs> uh, so you said, you had a different favorite moment later. Yes. Um, uh, a lot of viewers, I don't think really noticed the first time, but for some reason it stuck out to me uh, towards the very end when we get the Arya coming in to kill the Night King. Um, right before that, there's a lot of back and forth with the Night King's face, Theon's face, Night King's face, or not, not Theon, uh, Bronn. Bran. 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 Um, and then suddenly it cuts back to one of the lieutenants, one of the 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 whites, and you see his, his, hair his hair just blows. <laughs> And he's he kind of like looks over to the right a little bit. He's like, huh? And all of a sudden, Arya ah, jumps in. And just that moment of just that slow motion. Also, once again, a little slow motion segment of his hair just blowing because she's so freaking dexterous and so sneaky. Um, that was just a really cool moment. It, it made her attack even that more cool that they didn't even see her coming. The whites just like were yeah. blown away. Literally. Two, two things that I noticed about that that I haven't seen a lot of people talking about. Uh, one is that it was a slight payoff for the hound. Because in earlier episodes, when her and the hound were tagging along together, there's uh, she had to kill a guy. And he said, "Hey, this is where the heart is." Ah. And Jared's knife up into the spot where she got the knife, Night King, just under the rib cage on the on the right. And it's the same exact exact move that she does when she's sparring with Brienne of Tarth. So earlier in the show, they even made a gif of it of her rehearsing that scene with Brianna Tarth. She does the exact thing where she goes to attack her. Brienne blocks the top thing, but she drops the knife drops and then the knife, whoosh, comes from under. And then she smiles at Brienne and walks away. Um, so she does that exact same move to the Night King. And I was like, that is badass. What a callback. Yeah. 
another cool thing, and I don't know if this is on purpose, but if it is, it's even cooler. Uh, if you look at the Night King's armor, when he's standing normal, it's overlapped. There's no gap in his armor. So Arya came flying in from like an upward angle, like a crazy jumping right. of some sort. <laughs> um, but it's because she needed him to raise his arms to create the gap in his armor. Oh, crap. That's so impressive. even that was planned. She's just so freaking smart. She is so freaking like, I, I, I hope that it was on purpose. I hope. And I'm just glad they gave her like some crazy sexual agency in the show, too, which is pretty awesome. And, and I, she broke she broke Gendry's heart. And I heard from my friends, they, they heard somewhere that um, when they, they told her they were going to do the sex scene with her and Gendry and they said, we want you to do as much or as little as you want as far as nudity or how much you want to show. You can do whatever you want. And so she gave them exact specifications of how much she of her body she wanted to show and how much. Because like they they thought it was actually important to show that she was a woman, um, and no longer a child anymore. So she actually wanted to show some nudity, and that was her choice to show like Ooh, a, a little really half cool. boob, you know. <laughs> but I was just like I thought because it is it was disturbing and jarring for me to like see this girl we grew up with. You know, she's like we saw her as a little girl, and now she's nineteen years old, um, in real life, and but she still looks so young in the face. But then yeah, when she took her clothes sure. off, she's a freaking woman, you know. <laughs> but. But it was just still very jarring. But it was just, it was nice to give her a moment of like she's a, a woman. She's gonna take what she wants, and she and then oh my god! In this episode, episode four, when she tells him, she's like, "You were just a good lay." <laughs> That's basically what she told him. Uh, yeah, she broke his heart. Uh, but good for Gendry. Yeah, absolutely good for Gendry. Lord of Storm's End. Hmm. So that was a good time. Um. So yeah, that's our draft. We'll update you as we go. But right now, Jarman is in the lead with 10, 10 points to nine. I'm going to make it, man. I'm in another draft of my friends uh, doing a, a whole pool of points for we have to pick Ooh, every, every single character if they're dead, alive or a white at the end. So I'm hoping to win that one, too. I get a little right. I get a little um, hand of the king emblem if I win. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Gold and silver. Uh, so I think that takes us on to some trailer reviews. Trailer reviews. Here at A Play on Nerds, we have spent years refining our exclusive trailer rating system. At the low, low end of the scale, we have Burn It, where we think you should find every copy you can get your hands on and throw it into a barrel fire. To burn it, Fahrenheit 451 style. And second from the bottom, we have We'll See. Maybe the trailer was too short. Maybe it was cut oddly. Or maybe we don't know what the hell we just watched. Eh, we'll see. Up next, we have Give It a Buck. Whether you hit a red box, a dollar movie theater in the bad part of town, or a cheap online rental, give this movie a buck and enjoy it without breaking the bank. And at the top of our rating system, we have Shut Up and Take My Money. The wallets have been charmed out of our pockets, and we are ready to make our hard-earned cash disappear. And that's our patent-pending trailer rating system for A Play on Nerds. All right, so should we go off with our first movie, our first video game movie trailer? That's right. Well, I think there's only one. Oh, so right, that's, right, the right. Good, that's the good news for our audience, at least. <laughs> uh, and the one that inspired this episode, Sonic. Sonic the Hedgehog in 2019. What the?
why they picked this song. And they played it on repeat. Gotta go fast. Twenty minutes ago, an energy surge knocked out power across the entire Pacific Northwest. This needs someone who can figure out exactly what we're dealing with. You're not suggesting who I think you're suggesting. We have no choice. What the? Are you in charge here? Yes, I am. No! My Wrong. Wait. I'm in charge. Allow me to clarify. In a sequentially ranked hierarchy based on level of critical importance, the disparity between us is too vast to quantify. Agent Stone? The doctor thinks you're basic. Listen, pal, I don't know if you realize who- I'm sorry, Major. What was your name? Benny. Nobody cares! SFPD! Uh, meow? Ah, come on. Okay, pal, I want answers. Basically, it looks like I'm gonna have to save your planet. No, but thank you for asking. Uh-oh. Whatever this creature is, our job is to secure it, neutralize it, see what makes it tick. Look at this. I took nine million steps today. longer. I can't breathe in here. Do you have your child in that bag? No. I mean, yes, it's a child, but it's not mine. It's not your child. It smells like body spray in an old ham sandwich. So, yeah. Sorry about not cutting that down, folks. I uh, didn't have time. <laughs> uh, so, John Ralphio from Parks and Rec is Sonic the Hedgehog, and this looks awful. Oh, that's who this is the voice. I don't recognize it from somewhere. Um, ben Schwartz. So there was a huge outrage at how Sonic looks visually. And I think the thing that the, the audience should be more considered, concerned about is how bad this looks. Like, not Sonic himself, but just the movie. Well, my concern is Sonic is currently irrelevant. Why didn't you make this yeah. movie 10 years ago? <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know who's demanding this film. I don't know what they're trying to do. It looks bad. Jim Carrey is just chewing the movie. Well, he's, I mean, trying to go back to his old glory of playing those very goofy over the top parts and he's good at it. So, I mean, that could be all right. And the thing is, I love Jason Marsden or James Marsden. I think his name is, um, I love him. Bring that Jim Carrey back. No. I, mean, I like Truman Show, one of my favorite movies. I know time. you love Truman Show, <sighs> but yeah, um, this looks really bad. Burn it. No one needs this movie. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to say, burn it too. If whoa, devil, burn it <laughs> doesn't happen very often. We maybe two times ever. Quirky Neuron, let us know. Yeah, thank you, Quirky Neuron, if you can. But um, I'd still watch this movie to see what kind of disaster comes out of it. But I mean, it did not need to be made, so I have to say, burn it. Um, uh, but uh, and the second one is Spider-Man Homecoming trailer too. So 
we're we're gonna give uh, I guess another spoilers warning here because spoilers. <laughs> uh, the Russo brothers have been toting this whole week that if you didn't see Endgame before Monday, that spoilers were just gonna be out there, and there was nothing they could do about it. Right. And I didn't really know what the hell they were talking about. And then today, the Spider-Man Home uh, Far From Home trailer two came out. Right. So if you're not seen Endgame. Don't listen to this next section. Uh, jump ahead. Okay with it being ruined. Jump ahead like four minutes. Really like four minutes. And then you'll okay. be good. Play a drum. Here it is. Everywhere I go, I see his face. I just really miss him. Yeah, I miss him too. I don't think Tony would have done what he did if he didn't know that you were going to be here after he was gone. <laughs> You gonna be the next Iron Man now? Well, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing your job. What? Oh. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Look, keep up the good work. Because I am going on vacation. Heads up. Nick Fury's calling you. I don't really want to talk to Nick Answer Fury. The phone. Why? Because if you don't talk to him, then I have to talk to him. I don't want to talk to him. You sent Nick Fury to voicemail? I gotta go. You do not ghost Nick Fury. What up, dorks? What's up? We're just talking about the trip. I'm here in St. Marco Polo's. Oh, I think MJ really likes me. That reminds me when I first fell in love. You're a very difficult person to contact, Spider-Man. This is Mr. Beck. We could have used someone like you on my world. New world? Beck is from Earth, just not ours. The snap to our hole in our dimension. You're saying there's a multiverse? We have a job to do, and you're coming with us. someone else you can use. What about Thor? Off-world. Captain Marvel. Unavailable. But I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Bitch, please, you've been to space. What do you want, Peter? I want to go back on my trip with the girl who I really like and tell her how I feel. MJ, I am Spider-Man. No, of course not. I mean, it's kind of obvious. You're right, you may not be ready, but this is my responsibility. Saving the world requires sacrifice. Sometimes people die. Oh my God. I just always feel like I'm putting my friends in danger. The world needs the next Iron Man. Are you going to step up or not? I work with Spider-Man. You work for Spider-Man? I work with Spider-Man, not for Spider-Man. New plan. <laughs> All right. So uh, something interesting they introduced in this trailer. Uh, the multiverse. The multiverse. That's a big little slip in there. Uh, I think it spells out what the basis for the next part of possibly their Marvel franchise is going to be. Yeah, with the purchase of Fox and all the X-Men and uh, Fantastic Four, they're finding a way to easily slip them in with the multiverse. Or, here's another or about this. Mephisto, the character uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is playing there, who mentions the multiverse, is known as a trickster in the comics. He's uh, He doesn't really have powers. He just does illusions. So, That's not Mephisto. Um, uh what's what's his name mysterio mysterio sorry not mephisto there we go mysterio so that's who he's playing and so 
it, maybe he's just duping them all to pretending he's coming from a second earth and he's, there really is no multiverse, but it's more likely that this is the idea of how they're going to introduce X-Men and everything else into this universe. True. Um, so this one gets to show up and take my money if I can go see it. Oh, me too. I mean, he really is becoming the perfect Spider-Man. Perfect casting. He, he's the one we always deserved. Yeah. Toby McGuire. <laughs> I just love there's a clip of uh, I saw earlier today of the stunt coordinators for the first for Avengers or for uh, Civil War where he first shows up and they're mm-hmm. about to start doing stunt work with him. And he's like, oh, I've been a dancer already for eight years and I've done uh, gymnastics for six. And so they're like, what? <laughs> and so like he basically is Spider-Man. He's quippy, jokey, funny, and he can hop and jump and flip all over the place. He, he is Spider-Man. So it's pretty awesome. So yeah, show up and take my money for me too. Yeah. So double burn it and a double show up and take my money. That's weird. That's strange. <laughs> that does not happen very often. Uh, I think that takes us into some radical recommends. Yeah. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. All right. So this week in my continuous deep dive of YouTube, uh, I keep finding these really great movie reviewers. A lot of people that are putting out really great content. And this is one of them. Nice. Uh, and it's called, you can find them on YouTube, The Alien's Guide. Uh, it was formerly on this thing called the Wisecrack Network. Uh, it was titled Earthling Cinema, but has now become its own channel. Uh, and it's called The Alien's Guide. And it stars this character, played by this guy uh, named Garrix Wormuloid, who is <laughs> an alien in the distant, distant future, who has found these ancient Earth relics of terrible movies. Oh, what a great idea. And some good movies and reviews them, but treats them more as cultural records than entertainment. <laughs> and he himself is very funny and very quippy. Um, g- goes through both good movies and really terrible movies and really covers a wide spectrum. Uh, and I highly recommend it. That's highly really recommend a lot of fun. It. I wish I had come up with that idea myself. <laughs> uh, the aliens guide, uh, earthling cinema. Check it out on YouTube. Highly recommend. Very cool. I'll have to watch that. Uh, my rock recommend is not that uh, as different as yours. Mine's just uh, I watched the second season of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is not called that anymore. It's called uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. And mm-hmm. it's a modern take on the old series we knew with, with Melissa Joan Hart back in the day. Uh, but this one is so dark and it's bloody but yet at the same time, very corny and funny. And um, it's it's in the same universe as Jughead and like the the new what's that show called? Uh, I don't know. I know what you're talking about, though. Not Greendale, but one of those shows. Yeah, because it's, it's the same. It, they're basing it off the comics that have come out in the recent last 10, 15 years of Jughead, which has been more like serious, but yet funny at the same time. Kind of it's like looks like the 1950s aesthetic, but it's still set in modern times. They have cell phones. It's just it's. Very interesting, but very dark, very bloody. But uh, and Sabrina's great. She's the, she played the daughter on Mad Men, um, and that's when's playing Sabrina. But a lot of actors you'll recognize pop up here and there, and you see full on Satan throughout this series, and they all say praise Satan all the time. It's just very, <laughs> it's 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 a lot of fun. It's worth uh, watching. Anna, Anna and I have enjoyed it thoroughly. Did you watch second season as well? Yeah, uh, I think like most second seasons for Netflix, it kind of lost a little bit of steam. But I'm hoping they're going to come back strong. Oh yeah, it was it was it's fun. So they certainly raised the stakes. the The story just got a little muddier, but it's still very enjoyable. 
yeah, worth worth a watch. It's only eight episodes of second season, so check it out. Um, and we didn't quite have a thank you section this time, but you had something to say. Yeah, so uh, Quirky Neuron gave me a suggestion for Dopey Dungeons and Dragons a couple episodes ago, and it just hasn't fit in anywhere. But Quirky Neuron, we are doing it. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll I'll save the surprise for what it is. It's, know a, that it's a good one. About it's a good one for sure. Uh, so until next time, folks, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll keep coming back and being your nerdy co-hosts if you'll keep coming back and being our nerdy audience. Thanks again, Internet. Stay dirty, my friends. Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Find all of this content and even more nerdy news, reviews, and fun at www.aplayonnerds.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so you know the exact second we release new podcasts, articles, and other nerdy content. We know you're impatient. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Podomatic, and whatever the hell else you use. Also, please leave us a rating and review on your chosen podcast platform so we can be discovered by even more nerds like yourself. However you do it, check us out. And how. Did you just whisper sorry to someone? I'm going to start that again. It It was a delayed reaction on the button. It just didn't work. (laughs) I was like, what? I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) All right, here we go. Let's dance.